This is M.I.P. With Masamela Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, someone who has been down in Brunswick for quite some time, months in fact, leading up to the trial, she was there before many or any were for that matter, uh, in support of the Ahmad Arbery family. We thought we'd do well to hear directly from her. And after all, she is an attorney also. Uh, today, the closing arguments will be completed. Um, the prosecution will have the last word and then there will be jury instructions. And then this this trial of the murderers of Ahmad Arbery will go to the jury. We're happy to have with us from the Transformative Justice Coalition. And let me also mention someone who has been a, a civil rights leader for decades. Uh, we all came to know and love her at the Lawyers Committee of Civil Rights under law. And then she formed her own organization, Transformative Justice <laughs> Coalition. No stranger to make it plain. We welcome back Barbara, attorney Barbara Arnwine. Barbara, how are you? I'm good. And it's a pleasure to be on your show again. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you back. So you have been down there really uh, organizing the community and being supportive of the family really since this happened, haven't since the incident happened, haven't you? Yes. You know, actually, you know, I met the family last year and uh, and made a pledge to them to stand by their side through all of the legal proceedings. I didn't know at that time that there were going to be three. I knew there was a murder trial, that there would be a murder trial. I didn't know there was going to be a hate crimes trial. And I did not realize that there was going to be the indictment of the former prosecutor, which is good news. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, I, but we are committed to that. So the Transformative Justice Coalition, uh, myself and my co-leader, uh, the mighty attorney Daryl D. Jones, is also uh, has been here. We've been here since roughly our first action, believe it or not, was on October the 17th for this trial, the day before jury selection started. Yeah, yeah, that, that's uh, that's very, very important. Um, how how do you feel about the trial and maybe compare or contrast it with what we just saw in in the Rittenhouse trial? Well, you know, I say the Rittenhouse trial Julius Jones and the Arbery trial are all part of an arc. And it's an arc of the failure of the criminal justice system. In fact, I don't even call it that. I call it the criminal injustice system because mm -hmm. there's so little justice for African-Americans in this system. So I uh, call it an arc. And I mean, and, and you know what's in, in, interesting in all three of those cases, they all three originate from the same systemic failure of the system, and that is the failure of law enforcement to do their job in a non-racist way. So in uh, Rittenhouse, you have the, the law enforcement not even arresting the man with, uh, because they assume that you know he's not a threat, and then when they do arrest him, uh, he's given all this you know favorable treatment, right? And you, and you get into, and you, so you see that problem. In the Julius Jones case, law enforcement refused to do the investigation of the case, would not allow the prosecutor, you know, have misconduct in that case. 
just like we got misconduct in the Ahmad Arbery case. The Ahmad Arbery case, law enforcement told by the prosecutor not to arrest the man. The day of the killing, before they even processed them, not to arrest them, and telling one of the defendants to go home and wash up uh, before they presented themselves uh, at the, uh, you know, at the police headquarters, uh, and then you had uh, so you so in all three of those you got these uh, you got these law enforcement failures, and in two of them. Uh, you, well, three, yeah, two of them, you have really abusive um, prosecutorial failures and judges, the fail, you know, the biases of judges. Mm -hmm. And I felt that in the um, Rittenhouse case, I called it weeks ago. I said there was no way he would be convicted because of the behavior of the judge mm -hmm. and the bias of the judge. If I were sitting on that jury, uh, why the jury would be very um what would you call it i mean they would be you know uh, very desolate or you know very disillusioned because it was clear to me that even if they had found him guilty that the um judge was going to set aside their verdict and they mm -hmm. do that you know judges have that power and that authority to set aside verdicts and he was so biased that i never felt that he would allow the, the verdict to be held here in the arbery case you got a judge who um, found intentional discrimination in the uh, defense, excluding 11 of the 12 black jurors, but still allowed the case to proceed and did not reseat any of those jurors. So, I mean, so you have these issues, uh, even though I think overall he's been even handed and he's been uh, pretty strong about, you know, following the law in this case and it's driving the defense crazy. People are wondering why is the defense acting so crazy, Mark, in the Arbery case is because they're accustomed to being given a lot of white privilege. And mm. this case is very unusual, people, because mm. the judge is not from Glenn County because every single Glenn County judge recused themselves, said that they had something to do with some kind of conflict, that they none of them could hear this case. So he comes out of Savannah. Uh, they, the prosecution, because of the, all the prosecutorial misconduct, not only by Jackie Johnson, the first prosecutor, but by Barnhill. And so you have the cases being tried by the Cobb County uh, prosecutorial office. So you don't even have Glenn County involved at all in the mm -hmm. prosecution of this case. So that just shows you how much misconduct, how many failures there are. So all of these cases are tied in that web of the failure of the criminal justice system. Um, and what do you think about the prosecutors in this case? After all, I mean, they they got, I guess it was Travis McMichael to, to pretty much say that Ahmaud Arbery was no threat. I mean, whether they did so accidentally on purpose, the prosecutors seem to have gotten a, a lot of good evidence um, of of guilt before the jury. Oh, we? yes. Uh, oh, absolutely. The prosecutors in this case want to convict these guys. This is no uh, walk. This is no, no uh, pretense. They absolutely want to convict these guys. And they're, you know, doing everything in their power to make a good case to convict them with. Um, I think, you know, they made some mistakes at the beginning of this case um, regarding the jury. 
Uh, I think there were some mistakes made. Uh, and I think that in general, they're a little bit softer in some ways than a lot of us attorneys would be. But I think on, on the argument and on this um, and during throughout the case, they've gotten, they've been very good about getting the evidence in, cross-examining really hard. And, and in the closing statement, she was brilliant. She's been good. She was good in her opening. She was, uh, and I'm talking about uh, the lead uh, prosecutor, Linda Donikowski. She's right. been really excellent. Uh, I mean, well, good is what I should say. I mean, I think that I've seen, you know, lawyers who are spectacular. She's very, very good. Very good. More MIP after this message. So uh, closing arguments today, folks, um, finalized prosecution. Um, Donikowski presumably will close those out and then the jury instructions will take place. Um, it, the jury, to be clear, was not in the courtroom when Kevin Goff, the defense attorney, was making the case about how he didn't want any black pastors in the room. Is that is that right? That is correct. And, you know, remember, he this is at least his eighth motion that he made today. He made five motions to get rid of the Transformative Justice Coalition. Five. <laughs> and we have appeared in, I think, six of his eight motions, including on Black Pastors. Uh, he's always tried to get rid of us uh, because of his you know, uh, anger that Black people would show up in Glenn County and actually protest at the courthouse mm -hmm. and demand justice. They're accustomed, like I'm trying to tell people, this system here is so corrupt that they're not accustomed to Black people challenging their behavior. He's the only person on this entire legal involvement who is from Lincoln. And you can see his, his uh, biases and his racism sh uh, showing through. You know what's so sad, Mark? Do you realize that the NAACP and some other groups supported him? used to be the public defender for Glenn County. Can you imagine Wow. poor black people he was the public defender for? Because his racial attitude is clearly pre-existing. But at the same time, he apparently took on, you know, the former prosecutor, Jackie Johnson, because she was so, so corrupt. And he apparently complained a lot about her corruption. So that made her made him popular with the uh, African-American leadership, um, even though the clients were complaining that he was selling them down the river, that their cases weren't being handled right, all kinds of things. He eventually ends up uh, being fired uh, from his job. Uh, and ever since we've been here, he's been totally racist, wanting to get rid of us, not wanting the Transformative Justice Coalition on the grounds and said all kind of racist stuff during the trial. I've been disgusted with him the entire proceeding. But uh, the NAACP, because you know, had endorsed him, I guess they thought in this county that was the best they could get. I don't understand it. But in any event, I understand that, uh, that one of the uh, Black, uh, organizations in Savannah has hired him, him to do a reparations case. Because, yes, that he has been hired by a group of black organizations 
to do a reparations case. I hope they fired him after all of this. Uh, but it's just a reminder, folks, 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 really look at who you retain to represent you. Don't just go on the okie doke that this is good enough. No, really get some real advocates. They exist. There are some good attorneys out there. Don't just be thinking, oh, well, if he's white, that's going to appeal to the white establishment, whatever. Stop that. <laughs> <laughs> so so let me just ask you, because I want to understand something. <laughs> if, 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 if the jury can't see his antics, what who is he really who is what all the stuff he's saying about you and black pastors shouldn't be in the courtroom? Right. And, and I mean, does he really believe? Is it a fact that your very presence there could influence the jury? I mean, is that is that a valid concern at all? No. You know what our presence means? Our presence means two, well, three really big things. One is that the Arbery family's not alone. Mm. And been prayed for and comforted every single day. Uh, and that they're not isolated, which you got to understand, Mark, when I first met the family, they were talking about not even coming to the trial. Yeah. Yeah. So depressed. They yeah. were so you know convinced that no one would support them. Uh, the second thing we've done that's been very important is to support uh, the uh, community to be activists, because uh, in this community, most people don't understand Southern Georgia. And it doesn't matter if it's Southwest Georgia or Southeast Georgia, your black middle class basically comes out of, they, you know, they work out of Florida. Uh, in the Southwest, uh, Southwest, they work in Alabama and Florida because a lot of these employers are so strict and so conservative that if they feel that a black person is being active or radical, or whatever, they won't hire them. And mm. they're They actually have in some counties what they call blacklists, where mm. all the white employers have shared a list of banned employees. So it's odd that when you go to Early County and some other counties, you'll find out that the majority of their black middle class works in Atlanta and comes home on weekends, just like apartheid, right? Like apartheid. They work during the week uh, in uh, Atlanta area and they come home on the weekends or they work in Alabama or they work in Florida. Same thing. So uh, so in this area, they have the black community scared. Uh, and a lot of people were so scared uh, that they weren't going to come out and support the Arbery family. And what we've done by coming here, demonstrating, marching, several times through the black communities we have started activism like they haven't seen locally yeah and a lot of people have stepped up uh have discovered that they they have a voice that they can be heard and have started taking on leadership roles including the arbery family good lord i mean they got some serious organizers who have started you know developing and doing their thing and yeah. i'm proud of them the third objective was to make sure this case did not get swept under the rug. Right, right, right. There, as you and I know, Mark, every day there are, are uh, you know, cases like Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, you know, police misconduct, uh, vig white vigilanteism that just gets swept under the rug. They never get uplifted. I meet these families in tears and, and in pain because they're 
their cases have never really been pursued. So we wanted to lift up this case as an example to the nation, not only because of what's at stake with this white vigilanteism, but I want people to understand how powerful the Arbery family has been in organizing to fight, to fight for justice. Because there had it not been for the family, remember I told you about that corrupt district attorney, uh, there never would have been any charges brought against these people. Yeah. There would have been the release of the video. The family forced all that to happen. So give Wanda Cooper Jones, give Marcus Arbery, give that family all the credit. And I think that if we could teach more families across the country to do what they did. More MIP after this message. That is very important. It's also important just from, you know, uh, the courtroom culture and atmosphere, isn't it, Barbara? In any uh, a trial where there's been a crime of violence, yes, black or white, it is important for the family to be represented and for the jury to see that the family has support because because that does something to the jury too. I mean, there are cases when ain't nobody there. And if if a jury the jury sees that either the family's not fully engaged or the family supporters aren't engaged, then the jury's not that engaged, right? That's just a, an actual human reality, right? Well, I think that what happens is it's what you call the atmosphere of the community, right? Right. Because if the community uh, does not get involved and engaged, then the ethics of you know the morality of, of what you know what is at stake is not felt. Now I got to give say a couple things about uh, this community that I found you know fascinating. You know I mentioned to you all the suppression, all the efforts to keep people from being active. I mentioned to you how strong and beautiful the Arbery family has been in demanding justice, but they were doing it by themselves. Yeah. Well, to that first trial here, the first pre-trial in March, I was shocked, Mark. There was nobody here. Mm. Nobody. Mm. But the family. But the family. So when the family, when people in the community starts hearing that, you know, the family really cares, that they are persisting and fighting for justice, it makes them a little bit bolder. Because remember, Black lives are considered unimportant. That's why the, the, the tagline is Black Lives Matter. That's right. Because we're undervalued. It's just another black kid dead. It's the way the world sees it. And how do you humanize? How do you, you know, bring across to the nation the reality that this precious life has been lost? Listen to what the defense said today. And her closing, Laura Hogue, representing Greg McMichael, said that, and my, uh, I, that when you see that beautiful teenager picture of Ahmad Arbery, that you got to understand that he deteriorated after that. Really? What evidence? That he, quote, deteriorated, deteriorated. Mm. About somebody 25 years old who was getting ready to go back to school, who fought with his, his sister to get her through that she's got her master's degree who did all these wonderful things in this community. What are they talking about? They just, you know, it's, it's this ability to just paint us as criminals and to paint our children as worthless. So I'm very, very proud of, of what, you know, this community's been able to do to say, Maude Arbery, somebody who needed to be loved, he ought to be alive.
Yeah. And so I, I just think that's, you know, so important that that message is out there, Mark. Um, this case will go to the jury today. As we've said, folks, you've been in the courtroom, Barbara Arnwine. You've seen the jury. Any impressions of the jurors? You're at, at liberty. Now, first of all, to be clear, so there are 11 white jurors, right? That's correct. So any impressions of these jurors? Is this is it, 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 are the jurors? Is any body language? Uh, I mean, you you've been an attorney for years, so I know you know how to look at these things. Anything you're at liberty to share with us that might give us a glimpse of what might happen or what they might be thinking? Have they been attentive? Um, have they uh, um, um, I mean, just what's been their demeanor? Well, their demeanor has been very involved. I mean, they've been really focused on this case, really listening, listening uh, intensely. And um, and remember that Goss, you know, made his motion to exclude the black pastors after he saw the uh, some members of the jury emotionally react to Wanda Cooper Jones crying. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and they weren't they when they were emotionally reacting it was sympathy. Uh, and that's why he got so angry. But also, it's been clear to me, based on other things I won't talk about watching this uh, case, is that uh, they're worried about this jury, the defense is. And they don't think that certain people in the jury like them. And they've been trying to get rid of, yes, Mark, they've still been trying to get rid of more jurors. And, uh, and you also saw, if everybody's, you know, if you've been watching this case, you saw the other day that after Travis McMichael, who shot and killed Ahmad, that after his testimony, they had, what, three white women testifying a role. One white woman testifying to what her husband said to her. Why didn't they have the white male husband on the stand? And that's because the majority of the jury is white women. Mm. And they were doing that purposefully to appeal to the white women on that jury. Mm. And so that was the, the damsel in distress, the poor white woman under attack by the bad black man who's in the neighborhood, all threat, you know, scaring my children. They did a lot of that in the closing today also to try to remind the white women that, you know, that it was other white women like yourselves who were scared. So they're pulling this race card all the way. And they're, you know, portraying, uh, they're using the stereotypes to portray Ahmad as a, as a criminal, of course, because he's young and black. And they're using the um, stereotype of the poor white woman under attack in her neighborhood. When they talk about the neighborhood was under attack, that's what they mean. They're using that racial appeal there, uh, that racial appeal there, and it's, you know, racial gender appeal. So it's really ugly. And uh, even though everybody keeps saying that the case shouldn't be about race, it is. It's all about race. And it's very, very vicious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, again, the jury will get this case. We will see what happens. L lastly, Barbara, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you're, you're the attorney, not me. Um, it, it, it is looking at the Rittenhouse case and the way that prosecution performed yeah. um, versus the the, the case in Brunswick and the way that prosecution, I, I think the prosecution in Brunswick has done a better job. In no doubt about it. Am I wrong? To, no, to no doubt about it. And uh, no doubt about it. I mean, the prosecution in Brunswick knew their narrative and they came mm -hmm. in. They had a story they were going to tell the jury. Right. 
analysis of what happened. They wanted the jury to understand that analysis. They charged based on what they thought the evidence would support. So they came in strong on this case. Whereas in Kenosha, uh, in this, you know, uh, sadly, you know, in this case with Rittenhouse, uh, the prosecution was very late coming up with a narrative to explain what happened. Uh, you know, which just shows what happens when you got all these, you know, different racial perspectives on your prosecution team. And then also the other big difference here is that the uh, this prosecutor, her hands weren't as tied as the hands were tied in Kenosha. Because your judge has a lot to do with it. Like you were saying, all those back room, all those discussions people don't see. Uh, the judge in the Rittenhouse case was extremely biased. And if people think that biased judges don't exist, look at the Kareem Gaines case right now. Poor Rhonda Dormius, her mother, is trying to reinstate a jury verdict that was given to her of $32 million for the unlawful killing of her daughter by the Baltimore County Police, I mean, Police Department. And the judge set the, the verdict aside. Right. And, right. and the state Supreme Court recently said that he was too biased and, and that he should recuse himself. And he says he's not going to do so. Mm -hmm. So biased judges are a real problem. And that's what we saw in Rittenhouse. That yeah. you have a judge that, that already decided the case should be an acquittal. And he did everything he could to make sure it would be one. Yeah. He, he was practically another defense attorney. Exactly. Um, but in, as you said earlier, e even though the judge in this case um, would not uh, resist um, the de-diversification, if you will, of the jury, he's not been as bad as the judge in the Rittenhouse case, correct? Nowhere is, no way it's bad. And wait yeah. to hear these uh, jury instructions later on today. Yeah. You know, uh, his jury instructions that he gives to the jury, you're going to see uh, that he's been pretty strong on the law. Yeah. And, and he did. There was video of him admonishing the defense for their arguments against black pastors and the Kentucky Fried Chicken comment oh. uh, that golf made. Uh, uh, you know, Colonel said, what if they brought in Colonel Sanders comparing Reverend Jackson and Reverend Sharpton to, you know, Colonel Sanders? But it was worse than that, Mark. Because remember, he said, wearing white mask. Who wears white mask? Yeah. The yeah. Ku Klux Klan. That's why when he said wearing white mask, remember what happens, everybody, is that the judge stops him. Yeah. Because he knew it was just going out of control. <laughs> he, you know, before he can say anything else, race is crazy. Before he starts talking about the Ku Klux Klan or DeForest, uh, you know, Bedford DeForest or anybody else, he stopped him. And I'm glad he did in a way, but a, a way it'd been good to just let him keep on hanging. In yeah, I mean, because it makes a hell of a statement for right. him to invoke that. What if we brought in the Ku Klux Klan? I mean, why would you even say something like that unless you have some affinity with that side? Thank is, you. is the jury sequestered? No, and will not be sequestered. So I'm just I'm sorry. Again, I didn't go to law school. But why would I as a lawyer want to risk a juror seeing me say, what if I brought in the Ku Klux Klan to support me? Why would I want a jury to even see something like that? Right. I mean, I <laughs> I think he's just ignorant. Yeah, that's kind of that's so, kind of so racist. He's ignorant. Yeah. 
And he and he uh, today his closing was horrible. Did you see that mess? It was. It, I mean, you know, his his closing argument uh, yesterday was just horrible. And so I I really think people need to understand, uh, you know, that this is why, as I started off, that you want to have really good lawyers representing you, and yeah. and and be very clear on these cases, folks. If somebody in your family is killed unlawfully in a racist manner. You know, make sure you get lawyers who are there for your justice, not for the money, but for the justice, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of, you know, problems with the way some of these cases get handled. Mm -hmm. And I just really want to remind people that, you know, look for good lawyers. Don't don't just take the first thing that comes across the uh, the keel and don't take the first uh, person who you hear about or just because you heard that they did another case, make sure you got somebody who's going to fight for you. And That's for right. That's right. Interview them. Get to know the lawyers. See what they stand for. That's right. Well, one great lawyer here with us today, folks, is Barbara Arnwine. She has been on the ground uh, in Brunswick uh, and uh, so thankful she's been there to give us firsthand accounts. She will be there for the duration uh, and we may check back in with you before it's all over with. Going to the jury today. Barbara, yes. thank you for joining us as always on Make It Plain. Yes, thank you. You know, the jury uh, will have the case uh, today and uh, they are scheduled to meet, uh, you know, all day Wednesday. No, I'm sorry. They're scheduled to meet half a day Wednesday. They'll be off on Thursday and they'll be back, I believe, on Friday. Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.